Welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I am Julian Guderlei, and this is Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, where you get to hear the stories and insights from entrepreneurs, social change makers, and artists, displaying how each and everyone's uniqueness makes this planet worth living on. For more, check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com. And today with me, it's a big honor to sit here with Aaron Samsonov, entrepreneur and investor. Welcome, Aaron. Yeah, thanks, Julian. Um, Aaron, just in your own few words, how would you introduce yourself? Uh, I would introduce myself as a serial entrepreneur. Um, since the youngest age possible, I've always been uh, interested and motivated to find my own unique way. At a younger age, obviously, it was predominantly money that kind of motivated me. Uh, but as I've went through my, my own journey, it, it's now basically doing really cool, disruptive things. Um, and my, my background is more on the advertising side and technology side, um, but I'm just making the conscious shift right now towards playing more in the finance side and investing. And that's been a gradual five-year process. Amazing. Cool. Well, let's kick it off with this then. How do you, in the mornings, how do you get into your, your zone? Do you have a morning routine? Tell us how do you start, start your days, Aaron? Yeah, that's a great question because mornings are my favorite time of the day. Um, I think I've always been a morning person. I remember when I was a kid, I had like newspaper routes and not like one. I'd have like three or four of them and, uh, you know, making like thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars a month at a young age. I mean, that's how I bought my first car and all that. Um, and so it was kind of just became a, a core fundamental aspect of my life, just waking up early. I mean, I think at that point it was anywhere between 4.30 and 6 in the morning, which is pretty young when you're a young wow. kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as I've, uh, you know, grown older, um, it's shifted from like 5 a.m. to 5.30 to 6. I've even tried the 7, the 7.30, the 8. But I mean, I've, I've found about between about 5.30 and 6 in the morning, winter maybe a little bit later, summer a little bit earlier, kind of let the sun kind of just dictate when my body wants to wake up and and then I'm just ready to go right away. Nice. So you just jump into the day when you get up at 6 a.m. or do you do you, um, do you sit with yourself? Do you breathe? Do you have some kind of writing practice? Or is there anything that you consistently do or does it really just um, depend very much on, on where you're at? Uh, I have a, I have consistency now. Um, a few years ago, I probably would have, uh, especially before I met my wife, I would have just got ready right away and just went straight to the office. And 6 a.m., I'm sitting in the office, and about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm kind of getting itchy and it's time to leave the office um, and go, go explore the world. Um, that That's changed now. Um, you know, wake up at 6 a.m., I got two dogs that look very hungry in the morning and want attention and play so they always get the first 20 30 minutes of the day uh which is a great way to start the day obviously um and once they're fed i you know feed myself take my supplements and whatnot um and i've toyed between going into meditation right away or opening up the laptop and just getting a you know a, a checkup on where everything's at and um at the moment i gravitate towards grabbing the laptop for the first hour or so and just check out where all the investments are at what's happening in the world uh, you know, get caught up in emails and whatnot. And then I go into my meditation, which for myself, I've found the meditation is kind of just a reset after the hour of playing catch up to what happened in our 24 hour world while I was sleeping. Um, and then, you know, you do the meditation and I have some time in our backyard, which we have a 
really nice property, um, kind of borderline a nature reserve. And so it's just a really peaceful, calm energy and all the birds and wildlife are flying around and the sun shining. And it's, it's just absolutely spectacular. And so I like to spend as much time as I can there in the mornings and just kind of get centered and do some brainstorming and strategy and plan the day and then get ready. And I'm usually in the office around 9, 9.30 in the morning. Wow. That's quite the elaborate uh, morning practice. And if you jump into work um, almost first thing after the dogs and your supplements, you say, is that something that you, you had to train yourself to? I, I've talked to a lot of people that um, kind of shared they cannot do work as the first thing in the morning because it will influence the entire day. It will just kind of set them into a trajectory. Yeah, it definitely sets you into a trajectory. Um, I would say when my, 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 my self-practice, especially with regards to meditation and uh, just, you know, managing stress and overload and uh, I'm a type of individual that likes to push myself quite hard, sometimes too hard. And so, you know, when I, when those practices weren't as strong, I could kind of feel my heart kind of start pumping a bit in the morning and I could, I could, I was doing the practice of jumping into work. And yet at the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking there's probably something better. This is a little bit detrimental. Uh, but I've really went deep into my journey over the last, uh, I mean, it's probably been about a five year process. Um, it's kind of correlating exactly with my financial growth, uh, and shift, um, into the finance industry. But, um, over the last year or two, I, it's got to a point where I've, my, my adrenaline and everything in the morning just doesn't really exist anymore. It's just a very uh, smooth and, uh, I really, really crave and enjoy that morning time where I get to grab my laptop and yes, you're checking some emails and you know, whatnot, but that's like 10 minutes of it. The rest of it is just free flow, see what's happening in the world, see what's happening in investments, see what I'm interested in, in the moment. And it's just exploration. Um, kind of think of myself as maybe like a digital explorer or something. Uh, it's just really, really fun. And it just naturally usually ends sometime between seven, seven thirty, which is usually the time when the wife wakes up also. And so we have breakfast together and, and all of that. Um, and yeah, so I haven't really had ever had to train myself for that. It just happens naturally. I just crave it. I really want it. I get it. Yeah. Wow. A digital explorer. I like that. That's a good wording. Um, so Aaron, if you say, when you say work and the office and digital exploring, what, what is it that you're working towards? Tell our audience a little bit more about, um, about that part of yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a, I crave learning and knowledge. And so I think fundamentally, no matter what I'm doing, whether it's just living my normal personal life and walking around town with the wife, um, or, you know, I have a specific task in front of me, say in the advertising industry, or I'm looking at rejigging a portfolio that I manage for cobalt investing or whatnot. I mean, at the end of the day, it's the learning and the knowledge that drives all of that. Um, and so that's what needs to kind of be fulfilled first. Um, and once that has happened, which I mean, works really well when you're trying to run a portfolio to make some money. Cause I mean, if you can learn about the industry in deep detail, obviously that, that rubs off in the success of that endeavor. Um, and w once that's happened, it's it just, everything else just kind of falls into place. It just kind of happens naturally as, as long as I'm able to fulfill the, the learning desire. So learning desires underlying everything that you're working towards. It's just to fulfill your own desire to learn and grow. Yeah. And I mean, as I've, gained more awareness of what I'm bringing to the world and how I show up to the world. 
I've got a, a deep desire that's, that's now starting to percolate with regards to how do I share that same desire with others and how do I share these, you know, these findings and, and this knowledge, which of course is my own unique perspective. I mean, we all read the same article and we walk away with different thoughts and perspectives on it. And that that's amazing. And so more, instead of how to tell someone what I know, how to share the excitement of being able to learn and, and grow and the, the, the strategy and the excitement behind that. Um, I mean, I, I would be really, I'm, I'm re- really excited about being able to share that with, you know, my, my future kids and um, everybody else I'm affiliated with and, you know, the companies that I'm part of and whatnot. Wow. So what I hear is, is a desire to learn and then also the excitement for each other's perspective on learning. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Wow. So if you were to fill that into a superhero skill, I always like to ask people that, what kind of superhero are you? Um, what about you? What's, what superhero are you, Aaron? <laughs> um, well, my superhero has nothing to do with learning, um, although I'm very open to being an adaptive superhero and gaining new superhero hero skills. And I think if we're a lifelong learner, that naturally happens anyways. Um, but at the moment I would say I really resonate with Rainmaker. Um, it's kind of, I didn't really give it myself. It's kind of just always existed in my sphere where people have kind of jokingly called me that. Um, and I think it goes back to my advertising days, um, where, uh, I, I, I've been part of different groups and companies where we've built, uh, platforms and systems with regards to, uh, managing advertising on different platforms and automating a lot of that back before a lot of people were talking about AI and whatnot. We were already automating a lot of um, the advertising processes. And um, it was it was really nice because at least in, in that role specifically, there was a lot of instant gratification where you would buy advertising and be able to flip it basically immediately or somewhat immediately. And, um, my role was basically producing the cash flow, And so I, I would work with individuals that would build the systems based on a lot of the specs and things that I was doing manually. And we were able to turn it into an automated uh, process and in return reap some, you know, n- nice cash flow. And so it kind of the, the right. name kind of stuck. Right. And, and I mean, at, it now transfers over more into the, the finance space, of course, where when you're managing portfolios and we're building, um, automated systems again with regards to um, managing our company's money right now in the cryptocurrency space. Um, it it also resonates there. So, wow, yeah. Well, I'll call you Rainmaker from now on. Then, um, <laughs> how is how is your your work in that tech space, that ad space, and investment space? How do you see it benefiting the world? That's something I am really really intrigued about. Um, as I, I find like there's probably infinite things to know about technology and, and the advertising space. How is it benefiting the world? How do you see yourself uh, contributing um, well, to, to a better planet? Yeah, well, I mean, on the, I mean, at the end of the day, change happens within. And so, I mean, we have to resolve and grow and get our own house in order before we obviously start bringing that to the outside world. Uh, but with that said, I mean, on the advertising space specifically, um, I, I, I've been involved in the industry for, I, don't know, I guess almost 15 years now. Um, and 
there's a main frustration as a as you're a campaign manager or a media buyer or whatever title and label you want to put on it, where you know you you come up with your intent. Um, sometimes that happens right away, just because you have a lot of experience. Other times it you know takes weeks or months to develop, but you get to a point where you're like, okay, I want to accomplish this type of action. And then you spend the rest of the time actually implementing that, where you know you're doing a lot of the detailed work, and it, to, to some extent, it can be a little bit draining and mind-numbing because you're just doing the same actions over and over and over. And at least from my perspective, it's always in the back of my mind: well, how do I automate this? Because I mean, if I'm doing the same tasks every day, you know, or at least a chunk of my day, um, clearly we can program around this. And so we're we're really moving with regards to our advertising platform that is predominantly internal right now, but will be public facing in the future, is being able to take an advertiser's intent and turning that into reality. So if you're a mom and pop shop selling blue jeans or you're an institutional financial trading company and you want to reach a certain type of individual... Um, I mean, in the past, you would have a team of media buyers and you'd have to do all the research and then you'd have to launch your campaigns and then you'd have to manage your split tests. And I mean, it just goes on and on. You can get into all the details. Um, but I mean, the, the truth is, I'd say almost all of that could be automated now, um, never mind in the future and a few years from now, where I'm sure the 100% of it could be automated. And so we just want to get to a point where we can basically feed an intention into an advertising system, um, an individual that's, you know, spearheading that campaign can go through and fill out a brief survey or check a few boxes, etc. And, you know, the campaign would be launched behind the scenes, it would launch split tests, it would manage the results, it would go through, you know, how conversions are playing out, it may test different, you know, concepts and and I, I, I think that provides a lot of value. Um, I mean, it can turn companies that may have media buying teams of, you know, 5, 10, 20 individuals into a handful, one or two. I mean, and this plays upon the whole kind of robot automation that's coming down the pipe and is already happening where, you know, we're going to lose, uh, you know, a large chunk of the the task-oriented jobs out there. I mean, to, it's to a point where, I mean, even anesthesiologists and doctors and lawyers are going to get displaced. And um, I mean, where my mind really goes is, well, where where are those individuals going to play in the future if their jobs are getting eliminated? Um, and so anyways, that was obviously a little bit of a tangent, but that's from an advertising side where I see the value being brought. In figuring out the advertiser's intention and helping them get closer to the intent or... Tell us more about that. Like, I, I love, I love when business and intent or purpose kind of meet. So, um, yeah. So, with regards to the intent, um, I mean, you can obviously simply have a, a physical meetup with someone and pull out the intent from them fairly easily. Uh, but you know, when people are interacting digitally online, that may get a little bit harder. And you can ask them a few survey questions and whatnot, and have a decent idea similar to how you may go into a bank and hand them some money and in return they ask you 10 different questions and they decide how to invest your money for you. I mean traditionally that's I guess how it's somewhat done um, if you're a company and you're approaching a, an advertising company um, to you know push your product but I mean the reality is, is I mean there's some really interesting um, stuff coming out of companies like Cambridge Analytics and whatnot where really I mean you don't have to actually ask that many questions you just have to ask the right questions. Um, and once you've you've asked those right questions and get an, get an appropriate answers, you have a much deeper understanding of someone's uh, desires and intent and, and whatnot. And so the goal is to work with 
cutting edge individuals uh, affiliated with companies such as Cambridge Analytics um, to get a better idea of uh, an advertiser's intent. And once we have the intent, it's all just, you know, stuff behind the scenes with regards to, you know, developers obviously creating appropriate stuff so that can be rolled out in an automated fashion. Wow. That sounds uh, fascinating. So a world in which we can understand each other's intent even through the digital space and then possibly help each other reach those places that we're, we're trying to get to? Or couldn't that also, I mean, Cambridge Analytica is something you bring up. Couldn't this also be abused in a way that you take people's intent and kind of guide them into your own um, trajectory? Yeah, very much so. Um, I mean, think of a media platform that is showing you what you need versus perhaps what you desire. And so either, you know, there's, there's different ways to capture those data points. I mean, at the end of the day, this is all data points, right? So, I mean, you can capture the data points by surveying the individual. You can capture the data points by watching the individual. Um, and so, I mean, online, as much as we, uh, want our privacy, I mean, at the same time, we, we exchange it willingly and unwillingly at times uh, to get, you know, really cool technological innovation and features. You know, um, you can something as basic as like Google Maps tracking your location. I mean, that can be creepy in some ways and in other ways it's super helpful. Um, right. right. And so we can do the same thing in the advertising space where we can watch people's patterns. Um, not I mean, we don't know who you are specifically, although we, we, we are building a platform that individuals will willingly sign up for um, that type of access um, and willingly give data in return for obviously extreme transparency and accountability. Uh, but in return, we would be able to show them content based on what they need simply because we have already watched how they've consumed previous content. Wow. Yeah, I love the example um, comparing it to Google Maps because, of course, that's somewhat invasive. But at the same time, if I type into Google Maps right now, um, t take me to Seattle, it will show me where on the way to Seattle there is a, a live traffic jam, right? Um, fascinating. Well, let's do this for now, Aaron. Um, I want to switch it up a little bit and ask you, ask you a couple other questions. If you were to have a billion dollars tomorrow, one billion dollars, would you invest it in a space exploration or cleaning up planet Earth? Ah, it's interesting. Um, I would probably invest it into space exploration, uh, but more specifically, asteroid mining. Um, there's already large companies that are on the forefront of that. Um, I'm not aware of any of them actually having any results yet, simply because it's obviously a moonshot. Um, uh, but they are putting together the technology and sending appropriate uh, sensors or whatnot into orbit. And uh, I know the... I, I'm, I'm confident this will actually happen in the near future. Uh, Asteroid mining? Near future being, what, five years, ten years? I mean, that, 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 I'm, I'm not an expert to be able to put a timeline on it. Uh, but basically, there's a lot of rare earth minerals, um, especially in the PGM group, uh, platinum group, metal group, uh, platinum, palladium, etc. Um, and a lot of the asteroids are heavy into those. Um, and by mining the asteroids, I mean, it could actually get to a point where we would destabilize our own economic system simply because we would be flooding our market with all of these resources. And so, I mean, there's obviously a lot that needs to go into this and be figured out. But I mean, at the same time, um, mining 
on planet Earth here, I mean, so it does kind of tie into the second one at the same time, is is very destabilizing to communities. I mean, a, a little uh, village in Peru, all of a sudden a big mining company comes in, does some exploration, finds a big, you know, gold deposit, and before you know it, you're, you've destroyed half a mountain. Um, and, you know, a, a, I'd say the majority of these companies have good intentions, and, you know, they, they follow the current environmental regulations and whatnot. Um, I'd say a lot of the times it's the same companies or their lobbyists above them that are pushing to change those same laws in their favor or not. Um, and by being able to get a lot of our resources off this planet, um, I think that would just be a, be a really good thing with regards to um, n basically not destroying our environment and just digging big holes everywhere and uh, polluting all of our waters. Wow. Yeah, so they're directly related in that sense. Um, I like that. Well, so let's let's make a, a billion dollars available for you, so you can start m mining asteroids. Um, Aaron, how did you grow up, and how did that influence your journey? Where did you grow up, and how? Like, what kind of family uh, situation? Yeah, so I'm I'm here on the west coast of Canada, in British Columbia. Uh, I was born in Surrey, BC. Um, grew up there until. You know, I can't even remember exactly, but give or take 10 years old. And then we moved here to beautiful Victoria, British Columbia, here on Vancouver Island, which is uh, furthest west of Canada. Uh, we're just above Seattle here. Um, and uh, I, I grew up in an evangelical Christian home, um, went to a private school here in Victoria, very small private school. I think there was about a 100, 120 students in total. In my grade, there was six of us that graduated. Um And so that was a learn-at-your-own-pace school. And so me not fully having the awareness and understanding that I really, really enjoyed learning at that age, it just simply came natural. And so learning at your own pace for me was a godsend. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I graduated two years early. It, it just gave me a lot of time to explore and figure things out. Um, and then after graduating from high school, I, I went to a local community college here, and then I went over into the local university here and studied business and computer science. Um, but at the same time, I, I knew that I didn't like the structure of post-secondary education on how I had to kind of sit in a classroom and go through an hour and a half presentation or whatnot, sometimes three hours where I feel I could have just went off and did it myself in maybe a shorter time or maybe at least my own timing. Um, and so at the same time, I was searching for entrepreneurial activity simply because I was already toying around with those basically my whole life. And I mean, every single one of them just fell flat on their face and failed, which is a great thing. I mean, embrace failure, especially at a young age. I mean, what are you risking? You're risking nothing, basically a little bit of time and it's fun anyway. So, I mean, there's no risk at all. Um, And I mean, even as you get older, I mean, obviously it changes a bit when you have a family structure and individuals that are relying on you. But I mean, even at that stage, um, and you can take some, some risks on the side at a minimum from your day job. Um, and so I eventually just started businesses on the side after, as I was doing local, uh, you know, university and college. And then I got a, a co-op and was realizing I was making more money off my entrepreneurial activities than the co-op. And I was learning a lot at the co-op, um, It was an online company in, a, in itself as it was growing, got bought out by Amazon eventually. Um, and, you know, I, I eventually left that and followed my entrepreneurial activities. And that was, I don't know, 15 years ago, give or take. And um, 
a lot of failures along the way, tons and tons of failures and some pretty great successes also. And uh, now I am where I am. Right. So how did you experience these like last 15 years since post-secondary? Did you feel like you consciously uh, visualize certain things? Did you dream of things that are now becoming reality or did you just kind of stumble into it and every day there's more awareness to what is surrounding you? Um, so I had a, a pull and a desire to get involved in online e-commerce. Um, so I had multiple different e-commerce companies. Some is out there as selling bling bling. Um, some, uh, more service based with regards to image hosting. So back in the day when eBay was starting, they didn't even host images for you. So, I mean, you're, you're buying stuff on an online auction and there was no images. And then they, they added that pretty quickly and it was expensive. I don't know, 25, 50 cents an image. And, you know, some of these wanted six or seven images and these auction sellers have multiple auctions open. And so I started an image hosting company back then and, you know, it grew and whatnot. And we were one of the few doing that. We went a paid route and photo bucket went the free route and photo bucket became a ginormous company. And we slowly got bought out for a, a very minor amount of money. And I moved on and, Obviously, going the free image hosting route was the way to go. But, you know, I was obviously starting out, didn't have a lot of experience back then, learned a lot from that, um, and then, you know, moved on on to the next businesses. So it's like a, a progression of learning that, that kind of marks its its way through your life. You, you do something, you try your best, you shoot for the, the moon, like the moonshot, the quite literal moonshot we talked about earlier, um, with space exploration. And then when you fail, you... How do you move on from something that you, that you fail? I, I know that for a lot of people, including myself, like failure can be very discouraging for a while, or it kind of moves with you like a shadow almost. How do you just shake it off and smile and, 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 and know that the next thing is the right thing? Uh, well, I mean, as you're saying that you're smiling, Julian, and that's kind of the same thing happens to me when I, when I fail is, I, I mean... <laughs> The majority of the time, this works in my favor. Um, the dark side or the negative side on that is being very hard on yourself. Um, and I, I agree. I mean, a lot of people kind of fall into the little bit of despair. Oh, it failed. What do I do now? Throw your hands up in the air. Um, and I mean, I do that too. I mean, sometimes there's a little pity party kind of going on internally where, oh, wow, that failed. I wonder what caused it. Oh, it shouldn't have happened. Oh, let's go blame these external forces for why it happened. Um and there is great programs that can help with that, such as Landmark, um, where you can take personal responsibility for your actions and the results. Um, but I mean, after you've done it enough, you come to realize that the reason things fail is, I mean, because of you, I mean, to be blunt and I mean, that sounds harsh and being hard on yourself, but I mean, at the end of the day, it is true. I mean, yes, there's external forces and you know, all, all of that, but at the end of the day, I mean, you're driving the ship and you're fully responsible. And so... I mean, I don't really have the pity parties anymore with when stuff fails. I've had enough failures to, to realize that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, many times, you know, you, you take a few days off, clear your head, come back to it. And there's excitement. There's that smirk, that smile. Like what I brought up just in the, in the past year in our conversation is you, you have like this little secret that nobody knows where like, yes, you know it failed, but you, you probably know why it failed. And if you don't know why it failed, you haven't done enough reflection. Um, and when, once you, you've pulled out what caused it to fail, 
Well, you're now one step closer to either that idea or some other related idea. Because, I mean, they're all related if you're an entrepreneur. I mean, you learn a skill over in, on project A and it, it transfers to project B. It's not always obvious how it happens, but it does. And so you have like this little smirk on your face where you're, you know, you're now like one step closer to where, where you're aiming to be. I like that. That's really powerful. And um, it is all connected. It, it's not like a partition. Oh, I failed in project A. No, I can take nothing from that to the next place. Um, yeah, powerful. Um, you're obviously also a very busy person. So how do you prioritize family and friends and, and how does that play a role in your work-life balance? Yeah. I mean, it hasn't always been balanced appropriately for sure. And I mean, it's always, I'm still, I have the awareness that my default is to go deep into whatever I'm, whatever I'm involved in to a point that it is or it can be a little bit detrimental to those around me. It's not that I, I choose to ignore people. I just have tunnel vision on what I'm working on, and that's where my focus is. Um, and, you know, with regards to, like, my relationship with my wife and, you know, as we have future kids, um, I mean, it's really setting that time aside. I mean, that that's sacred time. That's important time. And, I mean, I mentioned briefly that, I, you know, I used to just wake up and go to the office right away. And, you know, by 6am you're, you're going and you're home by two or three. And I mean, that that's great if that works for someone. I mean, especially if you come home, you know, three o'clock and you have the rest of the day with the family. I mean, being an entrepreneur, you don't typically just have office hours. You're, you're always on. And so balancing that is more, is, is what makes it a little bit harder. And so just making sure that there's quality time that's created, um, some of my, my favorite times of the day is, you know, spending the, in the mornings with my wife. You know, we, we walk the dogs or maybe sometimes she's walking the dogs and I'm preparing breakfast. And then we come we, we come together for an hour and we have breakfast together and we talk. And, you know, maybe she's journaling beside me while I'm on my phone booking a few appointments or whatnot. But we're together, you know, we're, we're, we're spending time, you know, we're in the same energy together. Um, and that's important. And the same thing at the end of the day. I mean, I think there's a lot of power in starting the day and ending the day with um, with those that, you know, you love. And, you know, at, at this point in my life, you know, I'm choosing that to be predominantly my family. I'd say a lot of my, you know, friends and individuals that I have a lot of love for, you know, I work with already. Um, and if I don't work with them directly, I'm working with them indirectly, you know, in a digital way, or, you know, I'm communicating with them. And, you know, my life passion is aligned with my work passion and my career passion. I mean, it's really the same thing. There's not a lot of difference. And so um, just having the awareness and putting a little bit of structure with regards to areas that you may know you have blindness subconsciously or consciously and just, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's different for everybody, but for myself, it's, it's really putting structure around that and just creating a time. Once I've created a, an appointment, uh, it doesn't get missed. And maybe that's not super romantic in, in a relationship. Uh, but, I'm, I'm okay with that because I, I see the results and I see how happy we are in our relationship. And it hasn't always been like that. We've went through a lot of uh, trials and tribulations and difficulties with regards to how I spend my time. And um, it's, yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a wake up call just hearing it from someone else on, on how they feel where, you know, perhaps they're not getting your, your, your full attention. And um, yeah. Beautiful. I, uh, I'm inspired by that. There's, there's certainly something to say about a romantic expectation, but then also about where reality is, is kind of the, the common meeting ground, right? Where, where you can create space for each other. Um, so we talked about meditation a little bit earlier. Um, here are three buzzwords I'm going to just throw at you. They're body, mind, and spirit. And 
I feel like they're coming up more and more in our current society, um, in our global society, in our global culture. How do you how do you take care of body, mind, and spirit? Yeah, I find for me, um, it, it as long as I'm 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 giving myself time to be in a meditative state. That's like everything else takes care of itself. Um, and so on days that I quote unquote don't have enough time to meditate, um, those are the days that I should probably be meditating twice as long. Um, those are typically the days where I've started the day, something's come up before, you know, it, adrenaline's pumping a bit before, you know, it, you're behind before, you know, it. you know, you've just kind of attracted all of these growth opportunities around you. Um, and then, you know, before you know it, it's the, the end of the day and you're, you know, you're not balanced, you're not centered. And uh, I find when I'm not balanced, I'm not centered, I'm not as connected with those around me either. And, you know, a prime example is obviously my wife and, and dogs. And I mean, a great example, actually, is if, if I've had a little bit of a unbalanced day, I'll, I'll come home and the dogs can sense it like right away. And I mean, obviously, they're looking at your, you know, your body movements and mechanics and you know your tone of voice and everything else but it's it's like a wake-up call like right away because normally when i come home from work they're just bounding full of energy and you know like kids basically right and they just want to jump around and play and rub against you and everything else but if i'm just a little bit off that's tempered like they're still excited to see me but just a little bit standoffish just not as engaged and so it's a very very and i'm very grateful for that barometer um and yeah, so I mean, I, it's it's just a really nice way, especially at the end of the day, just kind of reflect back on how how my day went, how to, how I carried myself. Um, and for me, meditation is like by far it's it's the linchpin. If if that's happening, everything else just takes care of myself, takes care of itself. I feel balanced. And so meditation is like the 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 thread, the common thread in the narrative between body, mind, and spirit, or. Is that something that you just, let's say, that's just to get peace of mind for you? Um, it's, I mean, it, it's definitely mind and spirit for sure. Um, I mean, I feel much more balanced and energetic in my body for sure. Uh, but I mean, obviously I understand the, the scientific benefits of actually going outside and, you know, grounding yourself in your bare feet and getting some fresh air and getting some physical activity. And, you know, we all have areas that we excel in naturally very easily. Um, and we all have areas that are a little bit of a challenge. And, you know, for me, going out and getting active is a little bit of a challenge always. It's, it's never come naturally. Um, and so I, I've, I structure that into my day. Um, it's not where I'd like it to be. Um, and I have a strong feeling as, as that continues to get more refined and, and more elegant on how that naturally fits in as a kind of a thread throughout my life. I can see that benefiting every other aspect of my life. Um, but, but at, but at the same time, at the moment, I'm, I really feel drawn to meditation as just a way to, as, as that to be a common thread through elements of my life. Beautiful. Well, meditation is certainly something that's been uh, accessible to us since the first day of uh, human existence and it's something that I personally value um, very much in my life as well. Um, let me ask you just a couple of, of very brief questions, like yes or no questions, um, or either or questions. Ocean water or lake water? 
Ocean Water. Ocean Water. Universal basic income, yes or no? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. Um, there's there's a lot of pros for it, and I see a lot of cons for it. Um, I think it's an interesting exploration that we should be exploring for sure. Um, and I'm, I'm very open to seeing the results of those. Interesting. Poutine or tacos? Has to be poutine. Anything with French fries and potatoes. <laughs> nice. Cannabis or alcohol? Uh, cannabis. Well, Aaron, if you had an apprentice in your field, what would you tell them? What would be three takeaway lessons that you would pass down? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say the first one is it's really all about value. Um, whether you're an entrepreneur trying to sell a product to a consumer or you're an apprentice trying to, you know, find a mentor, um, it's really any aspect of your life. I mean, nobody has any problems giving you their hard-earned money if they're getting value in return. Um, and I mean, as an individual that wants to be an entrepreneur, I mean, ideas are a dime a dozen. It's all about the execution. Um, and so really understanding how what you're bringing to the world, how that provides value and what problem is that solving? Um, once and what makes you unique, you know, what's your USP or your BHAG, like, you know, your big, hairy, audacious goal, your moonshot, um, as, as you better understand that and you better understand the value that you currently bring and the value that you can bring in the future and how that value solves that big problem for um, the population. Um, I think that's where it gets really interesting. Um, I mean, as, as a second point, I would say be a lifelong learner. Um, I'm grateful that it naturally comes to me. I, I'd say we, we all have a natural tendency to want to learn. Um, Sometimes perhaps we've had experiences where um, it's felt like that work. Perhaps it's not something that we enjoy. You know, perhaps in traditional schooling or whatnot, some of us have maybe, maybe been turned off the the institutional learning route. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's all about learning. I mean, you can go gardening and learn about math. I mean, you can go out in nature and learn about geometry. You can, I mean, pick up a book and learn about what happened 500 years ago. I mean... Those, those are all interesting. Um, but I mean, for myself, I typically go deep and learn in what I'm interested in the moment. And I mean, that's usually my kind of mission and moonshot that I'm aiming for in, in life and personal and career and everything kind of all aligned together. Nice. So number one, value. It's all about value. Number two, lifelong learning. Is there a third or are those the two where you're like, that's the distilled wisdom? Um, there's a third and there's a the third is something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with where, um, I mean, we live in the future in our heads where it's all about what we can create in the future, what it's going to look like, you know, how many people we're going to affect, how much money is going to come in, how is that going to pay, you know, the bills for all the big, hairy, audacious goals that we're up to. Um, and, and, or you live in the past, which can many times be fear-based where, you know, such and such happened. Let's make sure it doesn't happen again. Let's build moats around everything and insurances and diversify this and that. Um, but I mean, the reality is it's all about the present because that's all we have. Um, it's all about the now. And I mean, there's amazing, um, thought leaders out there such as Eckhart Tolle that, you know, have entire books around that. And I've went through all of that in my journey and they've been very influential. Um, 
but I mean, really just to simplify it is, I mean, all we have is now, all we have is right now. And when this day's over, this day is gone forever. And your experience today is 100% unique to anybody else in the entire world and will always be unique um, because that's your lens on, you know, it's your perspective on the day. Powerful. Absolutely. Um, along that line, what is happiness to you, Aaron? Um, happiness to me is being able to be a lifelong learner and being, be able to share that knowledge with others. So then share some knowledge with us. What, what are you reading right now? And what was the last book before that? Um, I am, well, the last book before that was The Field, um, which is a really good book. Highly recommend it. I did uh, read it because of your recommendation. <laughs> I loved it, yeah. Um, and at the moment, which I just finished it, but I'll pretend it's at the moment because I can't remember the title of the book I just started. Um, it's, uh, the one that I just finished is, um, Anne Rand Fountainhead. A Fountainhead. Yeah. Um, she also has, uh, Atlas Shrugged and I believe there's one other one too. And I, I find, I mean, they're fiction and I'm not usually a big fiction guy by any stretch. I'm always, I, I've always felt in the past that fiction just wasn't where I wanted to spend my time simply because I felt like I wasn't learning something and getting into some of Anne Rand stuff was the first time I felt that. I was involved in fiction and I was learning, not just learning, like deep down, just getting a different perspective on like how, how I see the world. Mm. Um, and Fountainhead and um, specifically was really influential. And I mean, this just happened. So, you know, it's been very influential, like just now in the last few weeks with regards to how I see the world and architecture and buildings and the love and the care that have went into that and just how it, it's art that we see every day. And I mean, it's probably one of the most, prominent forms of art that we interact with daily and we just write it off as just building this building that um and it was just really nice uh, perspective in fountainhead um talking about that yeah that's very powerful that could uh start a complete new conversation the 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 art and design of our physical living spaces and how we kind of fail to notice that in our everyday now moments well Aaron, let's conclude this episode with my favorite question and I'm really curious to hear your answer. The question is this. If we as humanity, if we had a 200-year vision of planet Earth, what would yours look like? Um, that's a really good question. I don't know if I've ever went out 200 years. Um, I mean, it would, it would have to look at, um, obviously, all of us coming together. I mean, getting rid of the borders between countries. Um, I mean, those have all just been drawn and redrawn over you know, thousands of years, um, many times by obviously the conquering party or the nation. Um, and it doesn't really define who individuals are. I mean, at the end of the day, we should all be able to freely travel across the planet as we choose. And I think having nation states and even some of the decisiveness or divisiveness, um, with regards to religion and whatnot. And, you know, a lot of the, the things that are constantly in the media is, you know, you versus me and him versus they. And it's, I mean, we're all one and I mean, we're all the same. And I mean, at, at the end of the day, I mean, I think that is where the power really is, where we, we, we show up and we see an individual for who they are. And obviously 
we are, are all unique, but at the same time, we're all the same. Um, and I, I think that's really powerful. And so I would really like to see a, a shift and a transition towards that. Um, and then, of course, more sustainability uh, with regards to how we, we grow our foods. Um, vertical farming is, is probably uh, the way to go. And now, obviously, 200 years from now, there could be many 10 times innovations, zero to one innovations on top of that. And so, you know, I think vertical farming is something that's kind of happening now versus 200 years from now. It would be exciting to see what that turns into. Um, I hope it doesn't turn into just soil and green and just we, we all take a paste and we're, we're happy. Um, I think there's a lot of love and joy in actually eating food. Um, and I mean, sustainable resources and, and energy is really the way to go. Um, I, I'm a strong proponent of, uh, you know, the, the battery revolution and seeing how that will really kind of unseat fossil fuels. Um, but at the same time, I mean, those same minerals are, are dug out of the ground and they cause a lot of issues in the communities that they come from. And so I think there's a lot of innovation that can happen with regards to hydrogen uh, fuel cells. And um, there's some interesting concepts and uh, talk in some uh, scientific circles with regards to like zero point energy um, and what that can become. And it's kind of been a, a favorite topic of the contrarian group to bring up. But at the same time, there is some validity there and there has been some interesting research that's went into it. Um, and so we're probably looking at something like that in the, in the, in the near future, near future being 20, 50 years. Which will then influence our 200 year trajectory. Yeah. I, um, I, I love what you're forecasting there, Aaron. I'd love to live on that planet um, where we, we don't have borders. We can travel freely and share our purpose and passion in a world with vertically growing food. Hopefully, we'll still, we'll still be eating food. Um, I, I copy you on that. Well, Aaron, thank you for making the time. Thank you for sharing um, your perspective and your story with us. Um, it was a pleasure to have you on Green Planet, Blue Planet Podcast. Awesome. Thanks, John.